Mac Jones is ripped. Matt Patricia is calling plays. The Celtics are title favorites. And The Ringer has a new Boston show. I'm Brian Barrett, host of Off the Pike, the show covering all things Boston sports. I'll have shows multiple times a week covering your favorite teams and with your favorite Ringer and local guests. Plus, maybe Bill will stop by to rant about the Sox. Follow Off the Pike with me, Brian Barrett, now on Spotify. Two extra point taken. I'm Shiel Kapadia. As always, joined by Ben Solak. We come to you every week after Monday Night Football where we watch the Patriots take care of the Cardinals. 27-13. Benny Souls, if the season ended today, the New England Patriots are your seventh seed going to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs as uh, what I Yawn. would imagine would be big underdogs. Uh, how are we doing tonight? Uh, yeah, like that was a game. Football players played football plays. That was a the 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 Kyler injury was just devastating. It was just it was scary. Yeah. It was, it was un- uncomfortable. You hate the non-contact injuries. He was devastated on the cart, and then everything that followed was just bad football. And you're like, man, I really wish that really talented scat quarterback run around guy was out here. It would make things a lot better. So the early reports on Kyler are pretty bad. Uh, it puts the Cardinals in a tough spot. I was kind of I was trying to figure out a. Uh, take off of Monday Night Football that was about Kyler being injured and the rest of the season for the Cardinals and what it means for Cliff and and, and Steve Kahn, the general manager. And I just have nothing. Like they it's very evident that 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 Cliff's uh, not suited for an NFL head coaching job. It's very evident that Steve Kahn's not suited for an NFL general managing job. It's been evident for a while. They're they were four and eight with Kyler. Obviously he was out for a couple games. Uh four and nine now. They don't Kyler for the rest of the season. But Kyler's the franchise. They extended him. So if you're going to be a losing team and you extended your quarterback, then the other parts of the nucleus have to go. But that's been evident for a long time. So I don't like if the Kyler injury is the straw that breaks the camel's back and forces the Bidwell family to make a change at head coach and a change at general manager. Sure. But that's bad. That's a bad process because it took your mobile quarterback getting a major knee injury for you to then change the people around him to maybe finally win some football games with him. It's too little, too late once the injury comes. Maybe, like, you don't know he's going to recover, yada, yada, whatever. But that's, you don't yeah. want to be making it on the back half of the injury. You want to be making it before and when he's so healthy and you know that you've got him. So, like, I was trying to come up with that take. I I couldn't get anything going there. I was trying to come up with a Matt Patricia calling 10,000 screens take. And I was like, now everybody knows this. This isn't interesting. Josh Uche had, like, two and a half sacks. I was trying to come up with a let's talk about how Ben knew Josh Uche was good coming out of the 2020 NFL draft take. I didn't feel important enough to start the show. Two yeah, undrafted free or two rookie running backs <laughs> scored touchdowns to the New England Patriots tonight. It Belichick things, right? We talked about Belichick's coaching a couple pods ago. There you go. Just going back to that nonsense. A lot of things happened. I do not have a big Monday Night Football take out of the game. So you, listener, take any one of the four you want. Decide that that's the important one for you. Here, I'll put it into a sentence for you, okay? Because you said it, but it feels like Kyler Murray has played his last game for Cliff Kingsbury to me. I mean, that, that you know, is a, is a, is a take. I've been I, feeling that way since 2021. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think the injury had anything to do with it, but you look at the last year, 
for this Cardinals yep. team. I mean, you have Kyle, you have the disastrous end to last season. You have the bad wild card game. You have Murray's agent lobbying in the media for an extension. You have Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Keim inexplicably getting extensions. Then Murray gets the extension with the homework clause. Then they remove the homework clause. Then you have two Classic. members of those. Kingsbury's two members of Kingsbury's coaching staff fired for off-field transgressions. They finally get on the field. They're sloppy, disorganized. Kyler's yelling at Cliff. Cliff's yelling at Kyler. They're calling uh, terrible timeouts. The clock management's terrible. The on-field product is terrible. I mean, they're 28-33-1 in Cliff Kingsbury's four years as an NFL head coach Mm -hmm. with one playoff appearance and zero playoff wins. I mean, that usually does not get it done uh, four years in. Now, normally you don't get an extension based off of that, so who knows what will happen, but it'll be an interesting offseason for them because, uh, as you said, the early reports, Josh Weinfuss of ESPN reported a, a source saying, like, there's little doubt that it's a torn ACL for Kyler Murray, so they don't have full confirmation, but that's what they're thinking, which would mean that's going in to next year. You have the sixth overall pick in the draft. Like all of a sudden, it turns to a pretty uh, big offseason. So um, that that that's what I felt was, was my take. Like, all right, you know, he played three snaps today. Those are the three snaps he's pro- the last three snaps he's probably played for Cliff Kingsbury uh, in what could be an interesting coaching opening this offseason. Here's the uh, here's the best. Here's the real fun Cliff Kingsbury stat. Since January 1st, 2021, it's December 2022. It's two calendar years. The Cardinals have won four home games. All right. They've won one this season. It was a Thursday night football game against the Saints. Andy Dalton threw multiple pick sixes. Now is the Cardinals' first home win in 11 months. That's, that's the most recent home win. The most recent one beforehand, uh, 31 to 5 over the Houston Texans in week seven of last season. Uh, Christian Kirk had a touchdown. Chase Edmonds had 15 carries. Cardinals were 7-0. Since then, they're like 1-9 at home. <laughs> they, they, they lost in a wild card. Yeah. This team was 7-0. And, and they've won one home game since. That was October of last year. Holy, we were in masks, man. This was a long time ago. <laughs> it's, it is, the fa- they cannot handle business. They just are not a professional football team. They do not handle the stuff that professional football teams are supposed to handle. Embarrassing franchise. The, uh, the, the graphic tonight that said Cliff Kingsbury had not won a challenge since 2019. Did you see that one? I was like, yeah. wait, that can't be right. I'm not going to look this up, but that if that's right, that is uh, pretty wild. All right, we don't need to talk more uh, about that game. If you're new to the program, this is what we do. We swap takes. We each have three. That was Ben's first one off of Monday Night Football, uh, and Ben will have an extra point at the end. We don't know what each other's takes are going to be. We just let them rip and see where we go. All right. So mine is sort of Monday night football uh, adjacent. My first take. So Patriots win that game. uh, Did not look great offensively. Once again, you mentioned it. I think they had thrown 11 screens at least in the fourth quarter. Mac Jones going at Matt Patricia once again, in what has become sort of a weekly occurrence here uh, on the field. And so there's been some speculation. You know, our uh, Bill Simmons was on the Manning cast tonight. Uh, he did a podcast. You're, you were on his podcast a couple of weeks ago where he had a segment about could Tom Brady potentially return to New England as a free agent in 2023? And my take is Tom Brady returning to New England would be a complete disaster for everybody <laughs> yes. involved. 
It is a horrible idea. I understand the nostalgia. Listen, I remember when the Sixers, oh, we're going to bring Allen Iverson back. Oh, yeah, that'll be fun. We had some fun years. That didn't end well. This would not end well. And I'm watching Tom Brady on Sunday against the 49ers in a non-competitive game. He has not looked good the last two to three weeks, I I would say. You know, I think earlier in the season, I was watching him going, it's not Brady, it's the offensive line, it's the weapons. Recently, Brady's missing a lot of throws. You can tell he does not want to get hit at all. That's been the case all season long. He averaged 4.6 yards per attempt in that loss to the 49ers through two interceptions. It was a disaster. I mean, the Bucs are six and seven. They're still positioned to win the NFC South, but this is a bad team. And so now you look ahead. I mean, I I swear when I was researching this pod, then there are like six different articles in different areas of the country of could this team be the team for Tom Brady in 2023. You're seeing it New Orleans. You're seeing it uh, San Francisco. I mentioned it with Bill and New England. The Raiders rumors are going to be out there. The Patriots issue, and I'm not like, you know, Mac Jones fan number one, but to just think that quarterback is their issue is nuts to me. I mean, to think Tom Brady could go to this team where the offensive line has been a little bit up and down, where they do not have weapons comparable to any really good team in the NFL. I mean, that spending spree a couple years ago with Hunter Henry, Jonu Smith, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, that was a disaster for Bill Belichick. And then you talk about Brady's going to be 46 years old. He's averaging 6.2 yards per attempt, Ben. That ranks 31st out of 33 quarterbacks. That's with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Russell Gage. And now he's going to go to New England and play for Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. Or who knows? Maybe they bring in Bill O'Brien. Maybe they bring someone else in. But to me, it's a terrible idea. This is not your dad's AFC East. There's a man named Josh Allen in the division. The Jets are not the Jets of old. The Dolphins are a much improved team. And you're talking about the conference Tom Brady's going to go back to New England and now compete with Mahomes and Allen and Herbert and Burrow. Uh, So I just think it would be a terrible idea all the way around. It would be a nostalgic move, in my opinion, if it were to happen or if it were to get serious. It would be a Robert Kraft move saying, this hasn't gone so well since we got rid of Tom Brady. Let's bring him back and try to get one more year. But I think it would end poorly for everyone involved, and they should cut that off before they even strongly consider it. Your thoughts? It's inevitable because Tom is who he was. He means to New England what he meant to New England. New England's at this stage of of, of their team, and Bill Belichick's at this stage of his weird coaching decisions and it's not fun and it's not great and they're seven and six but it feels ugly so it was inevitable but that yeah there's there's no merit to it uh brady doesn't solve most of the problems right now if brady comes in and because and because he's brady and he kicks down the door he goes matt patricia out go get me you know that bill o'brien or just like some other cast off of this patriot and then like even yeah. then like bill o'brien it, there's a lot to be said about Bill O'Brien. Bern, I'm actually going to bring up Bill O'Brien on a later take on this pod somehow. Regardless, he's called offense before. There's a lot to be said about. Is yeah. <laughs> what, what phrasing? I love it. He has called offensive football before for several years in a professional level. Something that cannot be said for Matthew Patricia, who is currently doing so for the New England yeah. Patriots. So, like, but even like, if Brady's clout allows him to say, like, we need to do this, bang, or like, you know, uh, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Jacoby Myers, Devontae Parker, this isn't good enough. We have to go get this free agent. And they do. Like, even if 
Brady's presence in New England leads to improvement at offensive play caller where there's been such an issue, improvement at, at pass catcher where there's been such an issue. The, the team is in disarray. I don't fully understand why. I think Bill Belichick is the best coach, but the team's in disarray. And, and it's lovely to think that, oh yeah, if we just get Tom back, then everything will feel like 2008 again. I, I, that's pie in the sky. That, like, that, it's a nice fable. I don't think it would occur. I also don't think that, I think like the Patriots would want it because it'd be, I've, even at Tom at this stage in his career, I think is an improvement over Mac Jones. I don't see why Brady would want it. Just that you, you won a Super Bowl in Tampa. You made your point. You were, you know, middle-aged dad drunk being escorted around on a boat, tossing the Lombardi over the water. You did it. it you could have got out nice and clean. You could have retired. You chose not to. That was a mistake. But you did it. You made your point very clearly. Take your ball and go home. And that's okay. It, it, it's all right to end a career with seven, eight. How many Super Bowls you win? That's not happening. Yeah, seven. I think yeah. seven, right? Yeah, it's okay to just be like, I won seven. I overall won. I don't need to go back and try to run this back and make another point. Take your ball and go home. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to continue to play. I don't think he's going to be ready to retire. Do you have a favorite team for? Because uh, here are the two that I was looking at, looking at this and looking at the other teams. All right, I don't think he should go to New England. Uh, there's some smoke around the Saints potentially bringing Sean Payton back. There was a column by Jeff Duncan, uh, who has been writing in New Orleans for a long time, who wrote a book on Drew Brees and Sean Payton, saying if Sean Payton wants to come back, Sean Payton should be the Saints' uh, head coach. We know that the Dolphins tried to collude with Sean Payton and Tom Brady. They share the same agent and bring them together. So that one kind of caught my attention. If he just stays in the NFC, stays in the NFC South, very winnable. If Sean Payton goes back to New Orleans and Tom Brady goes there, you have a lave, you have a good offensive line. Maybe you make a couple more moves. We know the Saints are all in every year. So it's not like, you know, pushing all their chips in is going to be anything different. And then the Raiders are the other interesting name that I think we have to look at because to reunite with yeah, Josh Raiders. McDaniels, we know they tried to uh, before you have Devonte Adams, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller. And by the way, you can trade Derek Carr and you can get some draft capital to address, address other areas of the roster. My only hesitation there is, do you really want to be in that division? If you really want to win a Super Bowl, do you really want to be in that division with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and in that conference with Allen and Burrow when it feels so lopsided right now, the AFC and NFC with the quarterbacks? Does he want to win a Super Bowl? It's like, a, that's a good, it's a very good question. Here's my thing. He does, because that's what football players want to do. But I have to imagine after you win seven, you're kind of like, there's other stuff. <laughs> Enjoy the day-to-day. Yeah, there's yeah. something to be like, said for I'll that. I'll put it to you this way. Like, Super Bowl, I can't put my hand... I was going to do like put a hand-up ranking, like tier things, but people can't see me. If, if, if winning a Super Bowl is here, insert hand at a certain level, where on this imaginary scale is like setting lifetime achievement records that will never, ever be touched in terms of like career passing yards, career passing touchdowns? Like, how much does hey, let's go to Las Vegas with Josh McDaniels and then I'm going to pass the ball 68% of the time. I'm going to throw to Devontae Adams as much as I want. We're never going to run the ball in the red zone and I'm going to have six trillion bajillion career passing touchdowns and then my name is going to be in the record books forever. Like, I'm not going to even remotely attempt to enter the psyche of 45-year-old Tom Brady whose life could not be more radically different than mine. But in my head, like, that would matter a little bit more. Like, like what does the eighth ring do relative to being able to be like, I no one's ever going to touch this record because no one's ever going to play another 46. Like, if he wants to play another season, I just wonder, like, legitimately, how much does Super Bowl actually matter? 
Yeah, I don't even I don't even know if it's the the numbers, but it's I think it's the feeling of at the end of a game feeling like that was fun. I'm still able to do it. I've got my guys. I like look at him now. He's miserable. And so I do think there's something to be said for that. So we'll see. My my take is just eh, don't go back to New England. Uh, you know, Robert Kraft, don't do it. Tom Brady, don't do it. It's going to sound good. It's going to feel good. It's not going to end well for you there. All right, Benjamin, what is your next take? All right. The Detroit Football Lions. Six and seven. Winners of five of their last six. Should have freaking beat the Bills. Had the Bills game in hand. Still bothered. I was at my in-laws in Michigan watching with with Detroit fans saying they're going to beat these Bills. And they made me look like an idiot. I don't appreciate it. But anybody who's been listening to Extra Point Taking knows we've been here. Right? Jared Goff, when they have a Monroe St. Brown healthy, like this offense has been working. The Bills surge now has them at a 20% chance to make the playoffs. Uh, one game out of, of the uh, the NFC, or excuse me, one and a half game out because the freaking tie out of the NFC wildcard picture. Seahawks are seven and six. They're within range. You know, you have a Lions state coming up. You knew I had a Lions state coming in. You told me you think we're going to disagree. I don't yeah. think we will because I don't think my take is going to be anywhere near where your take is. Like I think it's going to be two totally okay. different. Categories. It might be a different topic. Yeah, it could yeah. be. A lot of talk about Jared Goff, potential you know starting quarterback for the Lions in twenty twenty three. A lot of talk about Dan Campbell, coach of the year, analytics, fourth down decisions, plus also culture. My take is Brad Holmes should win executive of the year. Howie Roseman had himself a day in Philadelphia and Howie Roseman's had himself a few days. Let's talk about the way Brad Holmes rebuilt this freaking Lions team, man. Do you remember what Bob Quinn left? Do you remember the shambles that this roster was in? And uh, you, you can't win it for your achievements for two years, but let's just remember how well this Jared Goff trade is working out for the Lions to the point where their offense is functional. They, they've had development at wide receiver. They've had proof of concept with offense coordinator Ben Johnson. When you make the Matthew Stafford trade and you, oh, you kind of get Jared Goff back and I drafted him with the Rams, I know him. Obviously, you're you're trading away a good quarterback for a not as good quarterback. Everybody knows, except for the people who are willingly ignorant about it, i.e. nerds. Everybody knows that Stafford's better than Goff. But if you get a really bad quarterback back in that trade, you stumped your uh, opportunities for offensive development. The Rams didn't, or excuse me, the Lions didn't do that. They got Goff now only paying him $30 million per year because the, the Rams took on a lot of his money, which is good value for a quarterback of, of Goff's caliber, right? He's getting remarkably less than Cousins, remarkably less than Tannehill, and also executing the offense to the point where you can evaluate your wide receivers, evaluate your running backs. Let's talk about those players. Let's talk about Jamal Williams' two-year, $6 million deal in free agency last year. Jamal has become the lead back for them because DeAndre Swift hasn't panned out as much. Let's talk about the fact that in this past offseason, 2021 offseason, the Lions of Brad Holmes came under heavy fire for not signing a ton of free agents, for not going out and getting big market players. You know who the one player they got was? DJ Chark, one-year, $4 million deal. It's been a perfectly solid wide receiver for them on the outside. They re-signed Khalif Raymond, drafted Jamison Williams, all forward-facing moves. All we need is see what we can do at wide receiver long-term. We're not going to pot commit to anybody except for the fourth-round pick that I nailed in Amon Ross St. Brown. Yeah, yeah, fourth-round star receiver. Don't mind me, Brad Holmes, developing out my offense. Let's talk about defensively. Resigning Tracy Walker, who was playing great football, got injured, and then third-round rookie Kirby Joseph steps in. And Kirby Joseph is playing lights out for the third-round rookie. Their other free agent, Deshaun Elliott, right, who knew Brian Duker, the safeties coach, one year, I think it's what, four and a half million dollar deal? 
solid player for them. Let's talk about Malcolm Rodriguez working. Let's talk about uh, uh, James Houston, undrafted free agent rookie stepping in and being a designated pass rusher. Brad Holmes killed this from step to CERN. Now, here's what's really important. Brad Holmes killed this with the intention of not pushing all the chips in, of waiting, of being patient. They did not sign big contracts. They, they signed one-year deals. Everybody, they re-signed everybody, they brought in one-year deal, two-year deal. They have a ton of expiring contracts in the next couple of years because they wanted to sit and see, all right, if by, by the end of 2022, do we really know if this is going to work? Independent of what happens with the Lions' 20% chance to make playoffs, independent of beating the Bill, or losing the Bills and beating the Vikings and all of this, proof of concept. I mean, like they—they're gonna have to fight to not lose offensive coordinator Ben jo- uh, Johnson in 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 the uh, the head coaching cycle. Fight not to lose defense coordinator Aaron Glenn in the head coaching cycle. They know that this nucleus works. Campbell, Johnson, and Glenn. Goff gives them a functional quarterback entering next season in the event that they don't like any of the rookies. And when you go and you read what Brad Holmes has said after the drafts, twenty twenty, he said, "Yeah, if there was a quarterback we liked." Better than Penny Sewell, we would have drafted him. 2021, uh, that was 2021. 2022 draft, he said, yeah, the quarterbacks were properly rated. We The quarterbacks went in the draft where we thought they would, right? We had Pickett the early, you know, like he implied we had Malik Willis round three, we had Desmond round three. He has had top 10 picks and not taking quarterbacks, which means if Brad Holmes looks at this this rookie class and doesn't like C.J. Stroud too much, and thinks Bryce Young's too small, thinks Will Levison's too raw, they'll bring Jared Goff next year. They have proof of concept, but, but Holmes set up this year, this offseason, to be the fork in the road. Said, okay, we're, we're, we're going to get the guys in that we think are good. We're going to DJ Chark, one-year deal. We're going to Deshaun Elliott, one-year deal. We're going to see if we like what we got. And if we do, then we can shove these chips in. That's good team building. Now get quarterback right. Because you just did everything Chris Ballard did for two years. And then what happened? He couldn't finish it. Couldn't finish the job. And they have that Rams pick. And they have the top five pick. So huge inflection point for Brad Holmes, huge inflection point for the Detroit Lions, independent of anything that happens next, this offseason could catapult them to the top of the NFC North or could totally submarine this whole thing. But right now, man, give me an executive of the year award and let me hand it to Brad Holmes. There are so many flowers right now for Dan Campbell, for Ben Johnson, for Jared Goff, Brad freaking Holmes. Unbelievable, perfectly executed two-year turnaround. Cherry on top comes this offseason, the quarterback position. Can't wait to see it. Yeah, Amon Ra and Jamison Williams. I mean, that for years to come is very fun. Jerry Jacobs, uh, man. J- Jeff Akuda goes down on this game. Yeah. He's still he's still banged up. Jerry Jacobs, undersized, undrafted free agent corner out of Arkansas. He's lights out. Inside out versatility. Mike Hughes. One-year contract, Mike Hughes. He didn't, he didn't miss that. All offseason, man. Aiden Hutchinson had a series in that game against the Vikings that he took over. He had two big plays and ended a series mm-hmm. uh, against Minnesota. Dude, the, I, I, I forgot this was supposed to be my lead-in <laughs> point. It was going to be like a real kicker, so take me back to the beginning. <laughs> this team traded away TJ Hawkinson. You remember that? This yeah. team traded away. Second-round pick. They got a second-round pick back for a tight end. This is a tight end that people are like, yeah, he's a top five, top ten tight end. This is a legit receiving for a tight end. They didn't feel it. He, they, he traded away Hawkinson and the team didn't burp. That's bananas. The, the yeah. Make that move and then, it, and then it, the, the coach staff doesn't even sweat. That's, that's incredible work, man. That's so sick. Yeah, it's always hard to separate personnel from coaching. I mean, I look at it on paper and look at the pieces on offense and go, that is a 
like outstanding coaching job. I mean, I agree with pretty much everything uh, you said there. Just looking at those pieces on paper, if you would have told me coming into the season that they're, they're going to operate like a top eight offense, I would have gone no way. In fact, I'm sure wherever I ranked them before the season, you know, I think right. they were in the, I probably, I think I had them around in the 20s, uh, probably. So, uh, yeah, he's done a good job and it leads right into my point, Ben, okay. about the Detroit Lions. Jared Goss playing really well. Uh, there's no doubt about it. But my, I think we've gone a little too far. If the Lions like a QB in this draft, they have to take him. I, I oh, you thought takes- we were going to disagree? You thought I was going to back Jared Goff? You don't know me. We're not pals. I thought we were friends. <laughs> Well, I have heard talk that Jared Goff's going to be the guy next year and, you know, they don't need to. They can just upgrade the rest of the roster and go with Goff. And to me, that would be a listen. If you don't like the quarterbacks, that's one thing, like you said. But this is your chance. You are drafting right now. What is it? Number four overall. Baby, that Rams pick is looking good. You are set to draft number four. That could go higher. We don't know which quarterbacks will be available right there. But like you said, you've built it. You've built all around that quarterback. You've been patient. At some time, at some point, you have to pull the trigger and find your guy. You want the guy who can elevate the offense, not be a function of the offense like Jared Goff. Again, he's playing well. His statistically, he's been a top five. He's fifth in EPA per play. I mean, that is ridiculous. The Lions are seventh in offensive DVOA. Goff was dealing uh against the Vikings. You always also might have noticed he had a lot of time back there. You also might have noticed the wide receivers were making plays. It's a very nice spot for a quarterback to be in. If you are the Lions, you are chasing sustained success. Do you know the last time they made the playoffs in back-to-back years? Were you even born? I have no idea when you were born. Caldwell. No. They did a Caldwell? No. They only did once? 94-95. Yeah. So I was born in 97. Oh my God. Get it. All right. End the podcast. Uh, Chris, end the podcast. I'm going solo. The rest is the. uh, the (laughs) A couple years ago, 97 was annoying. You got got guys making plays in NFL games who were born like 99. All right. Brock Purdy's out here. Brock Purdy was born in 1999. All right. Get mad at him. So, no, you want to chase sustained success. They haven't had it. I mean, if you're a Lions fan, you're going, we've never had this. We've been alive for a long time. And we've never had this. They haven't gotten past the wild card round since 1991. And so they're in such a good position. It doesn't mean you have to bid farewell to Jared Goff. It means if you know if you sit there for, if you get to three, let's just say for uh, hypothetically, you did your scouting on CJ Stroud, you like CJ Stroud. Either he can come in and play right away, he can sit a little bit, he can come in in the middle of the season. You have Goff on a reasonable contract. Like you said, the offense works with him, but you have to make that move to find that guy who's going to be the elevator, who's going to put you in the mix year in and year out with the talent around them. And so they're so well positioned right now. And I hear some of the chatter. It probably applies a little bit, you know, to the Seahawks in Geno Smith. Honestly, it's a very similar uh, situation. In my opinion, you might disagree, but uh, I think you have to take the swing on the quarterback here if you're the Lions, because also the roster's good. The team's pretty good. You're not going to be picking this high again anytime soon unless something goes terribly wrong. And so you can't always be looking for the perfect guy. You can't always say, hey, we're going to wait for Caleb Williams. You know, 25 teams are going to be waiting for Caleb Williams uh, next year. If you like a guy, 
you have to take him. You still have the 15th pick. And uh, I don't know. I guess I, I maybe I'm I hope I'm not arguing uh, a straw man here. I feel like I have heard a little buzz that they can just roll with golf next year, upgrade the roster and they're good there. They don't have to force quarterback. But uh, I feel like this is their chance to really pounce and set themselves up for the next five, six, seven, eight years. Absolutely. No, this they like when I was workshopping this, this Lions take that I ended on Brad Holmes. One of the things I was thinking about saying was uh, the take is the Lions are going to make the playoffs and it's one of the worst things that can happen to them because they're going to make the playoffs and then ownership and Brad Holmes, who Brad Holmes loves Jared Goff. He's very effusive in his praise for Jared Goff. is going to be like, hey, took us to the playoffs. Let's run it back because he is cheap. He's $30 million. That's good value for a player like Goff. And, and I think ideally they walk into training camp next offseason, Goff taking quarterback one snaps, rookie taking quarterback two snaps. And then you have an onboard, right? You have the ability to bring a Will Levis on and, you know, start him in week five or in week eight or in week 13 or whenever kind of Goff turns back into a pumpkin, wherever the, the, the clamoring starts, whatever it ends up being. So it, 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 he's a good guy to have in pocket. And you can do him in a rookie. It's just if they were to like make the playoffs as a seven seed, they place the, they play the Vikings as the two seed. They beat the Vikings. They just did it, so it's possible. They're playing in the divisional round. It's really hard to move on from a quarterback after you play in the divisional round. So there's a way they talk themselves into it. So I don't think it's a straw man. I think it's it, it's certainly possible. The thing with golf is is very simple. We uh, we know what happens when he enters the playoffs and plays playoff defenses. We've seen it happen. We've seen playoff defenses talk about it, right? We we brought this up on the, the Ringer NFL show, the preview show on Friday a couple weeks ago. But Mike Girardi uh, reported during the 2018 Super Bowl, right, uh, uh, Rams-Patriots, that like Patriots defenders and Bill Belichick were effusive in their praise to Jared Goff in front of Mike's. And then behind closed doors, they were like, yeah, if we show this guy something he's never seen before, they'll he, he'll quote Mike Girardi, bleep in his pants, was what Mike Girardi said on NFL yeah. Network. Because... Goff is uh, in that middle tier of quarterbacks that great from the pocket. He's got good size. He trusts his receivers. He's got an arm. He can make all the throws. Beautiful touchdown on the field. There's a lot to like about Jared Goff, but he's limited as a creator. He's limited under pressure. He's a sort of quarterback where if you can get a grain of sand in the operation, he doesn't elevate as much. And he's more veteran than he was. So he makes fewer backbreaking mistakes, but the mistakes are still there. It's just, it's, it's not the sort of horse you want to hit your wagon to. It's fine in 2021 when you're figuring out what you are. It's fine in 2022 when you feel better, but you're not sure yet. When you're sitting there with that that pick burning a hole in your pocket, top five pick, it's really hard to pass on this class for another year of Jared Goff, especially you get mired in that mediocrity, right? You get stuck in that spot where we don't have the Rams future pick and we are always good enough that we are not getting a top 15 pick. And now we have to trade the farm. We have to do what Kyle Shanahan did to go get that rookie. This is your window. You, you don't want to force it. If you don't like a guy, you don't like a guy. And that's okay. But you kind of have to force it a little bit because you need to start <laughs> yeah. thinking about the future after Jared Goff. I will be fascinated. Ring NFL draft show starting this week, by the way. We'll be talking about this. Me, Danny Kelly, and Danny Hyde, go subscribe. I'll be fascinated to see how the Lions feel about Bryce Young. Because I think as a competitor, as a creator, uh, accuracy, I think they're going to love him. I also think that Brad Holmes and Dan Campbell like large human beings on their football team. And a large human being, Bryce Young ain't. And, and there's a chance they're extremely split in the building on Bryce Young and what he might mean for them at their pick. And that's going to be a huge storyline to watch throughout the whole season.
Also, a chance if there are four, they might not get a shot at either of the top two guys. So there we got to see how the final uh, month here plays out. But yeah, maybe the, the take maybe should have been the Lions can't let their this taste of success sort of alter their offseason plans because that's really what we're talking about here when we talk about Detroit and what they're going to do. Listen, Goff's been a great story. Uh, I saw him break the team down. I saw that clip. I think he was their Walter Payton Man of the Year uh, nominee. It's it's norm- When that trade happened, no one expected sort of this to be the second chapter of Jared Goff's career and good for him for making the most of it. But like you said, if you look at the previous three years, he's a mediocre to below average quarterback. You don't want to get fooled by this year when the circumstances are so good. Good for him for performing. And let's see if they can sneak into the playoffs. That would be certainly a fun story, but you can't let it change your off-season plans. All right, what do you got next? All right, so dual take. Titans-Jags played this past Sunday. Jaguars beat the Titans in Nashville after nine consecutive losses. The take is that that, this is a changing of the guard in the AFC South. Not yet. Probably too few games left. Titans won their close games. Jags have lost a lot of their close games. The Jags have a chance still to win the division. These teams play again in Jacksonville in Week 18. The last time the Jags had a divisional opponent in Week 18 last year, they had a hoot and a holler at home. There's a chance they're playing another very meaningful and hilarious game. Uh, but they, you know, uh, both teams face Dallas. Uh, uh, the Titans have the Chargers upcoming next week. Both teams get Houston. If, if the Jaguars lose to Dallas but then win out and then the Titans lose to the Chargers, yeah, there's a chance that that Week 18 game matters. But put that to the side for right now. This is a changing of the guard over the next couple of years. The first half of the take is because Trevor Lawrence is playing the best football we ever dog on. Saw Trevor Lawrence play. We talked uh, last month about wanting to see more from Lawrence. He's really stepped up to the plate. Their young receivers have done a lot better. The Jaguars are one of the most beautifully positioned young teams, I think, in the league, right? Uh, they have... Uh, good, young, developing, impressive players on defense. Tyson Campbell's been a good corner for them. Uh, they've had ups and downs with Devin Lloyd, but he's shown enough that I think you're excited about his athleticism, you're excited about his growth. Trayvon Walker and Josh Allen, like there's there's stuff to hang your hat on there. Offensively, the offensive line's going to need some retooling. Wide receiver, I think they spent a lot of money and didn't get exactly the returns they were, they were looking for. Evan Ingram, hero game notwithstanding. But Calvin Ridley's coming, and they got Trevor Lawrence, who looks like all that in a bag of chips, and they got Doug Peterson, who's just extremely good at his job. So Jacksonville's beautifully set long-term. But the second half of this take comes from a, a move made last week that we haven't had a chance to talk about on this pod, which is the Titans firing John Robinson. We're going to look back at this as being one of the biggest team-building mistakes made in the last few years when we get an update on it. I really believe really? that. When Robinson was fired, I was positive we were going to see something off field come through. Uh, that I just—he's too good of a general manager to not be something off field. And of course, like the firing is seven days old. Like that, we don't necessarily know where we're at with that just yet. But nothing has come yet. And a lot of Titans fans and ownership have made comments about football roster and building, kind of how it's to go forward. Titans fans have done a nice job pretzeling themselves into like, you know, oh, well, Robinson's 2020 draft wasn't that good. His 2021 draft wasn't that good. He traded A.J. Brown, so he's not a good enough general manager, which is poppycock. Uh, you look you look at what John Robinson's done over the course of his tenure relative to what the average NFL general manager does over the course of his tenure, and Robinson's an above-average general manager. GMs miss. They, they draft players in the first round who don't hit. And Kevin Colbert was a general manager for like 70 years and was just regularly missing in the first round, right? Howie Roseman, 
missing the first round. Mickey Loomis missing in the first round. Trade up for Marcus Davenport. Uh, 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 Bill Belichick. Bill Belichick is always missing in the first round. John Schneider. Did, did, do we know what John Schneider was doing from 2012 to 2022? His two poll classes. Not much in the middle. LJ Collier, baby. Rashad Penny. GM's miss, right? So like, yeah, Isaiah Wilson flamed out. He did. It was a huge swing of the plate. That's what Robinson does. He takes injury risks. He takes guys who have off the field concerns. Sometimes he hits, sometimes he misses. So he's, he was a risk prone general manager. He was an aggressive general manager. So sometimes you're going to have misses. But Robinson was, was, was a good GM. He had a good eye for talent. He understood what Vrabel wanted on the team. The Titans very clearly, though, in this past offseason, after they extended John Robinson, mind you, February of 2022, thought, you know what? We have to get building for the future. The Jags are loading up for the next run. The Colts are doing whatever the Colts are doing. The Texans are young and they're trying to develop and whatever. Like, you know, we've, we've got control over the AFC South right now, but there was not enough evidence that the current core, Ryan Tannehill on the wrong side of 30, Derrick Henry approaching the wrong side of 30, was going to be the core for them long term. You look at the way that the Titans cap was built out and they didn't have any money locked into Ryan Tannehill after the 2023 season. No money on Derrick Henry locked in after the 2023 season. Just void years. Taylor Lewan. Not after the 2023 season. Danico Autry, not after the 2023 season. Jeffrey Simmons, not after the 2023 season. David Long, not after the 2022 season. So the core of the team, the star players, the players who are driving them home to playoff wins at AFC South Championships. Robinson made a distinct point not to commit to those players because he wanted to build for the future a little bit. He wanted to be patient. He wanted to try to do it the slow way. Part of that was trading A.J. Brown. Wasn't a good move. Right. It's when we're like, oh, we got to be patient. We got to like, you know, we don't know if we have the core just yet. So we're in a low ball, AJ Brown. It doesn't work. You train him away. It's objectively a bad move. If he got fired for it, when ownership 100% absolutely was part of that decision, okay, the decision at the time, that's bad work from ownership. It's bad work from the general manager, but it's also bad work from ownership because they said one thing in March, then said a different thing in, in November, December when they fired John Robinson. But critically, and this is the, this is the important note here. It's the job of the general manager to take the slow view in the room. It's the job of the general manager to take the patient view in the room. The general manager is in, is in that spot to make sure the team is good three years from now. The head coach is in his spot to make sure the team is good now. Those two bodies are supposed to exist in tension. They're supposed to help one another. GM's got to get good players for the coach. Coaches develop the players the GM build in. There, there's, there's a harmony, but they... They should exist in a dynamic tension where they're balanced because they're pulling opposite one another. GM is always building for the future. Coach is always building for now. And ownership is kind of the the deciding factor that has to balance out that seesaw. Well, the seesaw is out of whack in Tennessee. Robinson's gone. Reports are that Mike Vrabel is going to have more control over the roster. You know, there's an interim general manager, Ryan Cowden, but Vrabel is going to be heavily involved. Remember the last time we did this with Bill O'Brien? Remember the time we did this before with Chip Kelly? Remember when head coaches got frustrated with general managers who were generally giving them playoff caliber rosters and then won those power struggles and took over the roster? What happened next? You can't, when a head coach gets his, his, his jaws in a roster, when he gets control over it, we've seen good coaches, good play callers, good schemers, good, good designers get too big for their boots. They get too much power and they start making impulsive, rash, aggressive, we have to win now decisions. I need this player. I need this shiny new toy. And I'm extremely worried that a very good head coach in Mike Rabel is going to be put in the spot where he gets a job he should not have, which is personnel management, 
And it tanks how good his Titans team have been because that equilibrium between general manager and head coach has been thrown out of balance. So I foresee a changing of the guard in the AFC South, in part because the Jaguars are playing well. They got their win over the Titans. They're starting to exercise their demons. But in large part because I think the Titans made a grave misstep in, in, in initiating this patient John Robinson plan and then casting it aside eight months later and now seemingly giving Vrabel too much of the roster, more control than a head coach should have. Trying to decide where to begin here. Let, let's get the Jaguars part out of the way. Yeah, I said a month ago, I want to see more from Trevor Lawrence. I don't want to see him operate like a robot. I want to see him let his talent show. And oh, baby, these la- two out of the last three weeks, you are seeing that. If you saw the Doug Peterson clip, Trevor Lawrence had the, the touchdown run where it's not a read. He's supposed to hand the ball off. And he saw the end crashing in and he and Peterson said that Lawrence just decided to keep the ball stiff arm. I think it was the linebacker. And it was a very weird touchdown run. But I was like, I love that. Yes. Take control. Uh, I saw JP Acosta posted the the clip of the the downfield. I think it was a post downfield that he threw, just a heat check throw, a money throw, another one. He's rolling out to his left and finds Jamal Agnew. And so I'm seeing more of that from him. And it's been uh, really fun. The Jags are on the right path. The two of their last three weeks have been really fun. Uh, I disagree with you on John Robinson. I think you highly overrate uh, John Robinson. Now, I come from a place of most GMs are the same, and there's not much that really, you know, there are a couple that are might be real difference makers. There are a couple who can really be terrible and put you in a bad spot, but there's a large, large middle class of GM. So I think John Robinson's been fine. I don't think he's been exceptional. I don't think he's going to be that hard to replace. And I think what happens is, and you're right, maybe we'll learn more about this story, whether it is an off-field thing, but there's also a more you know likely scenario, which happens with every team. You described it as a healthy tension. It's a fine line between that healthy tension and what becomes a power struggle. And this happens every year, more, not just every year, every team in the NFL. It's remarkable when these guys can stay together because they're not always going to see eye to eye. One person's not going to feel the same as the other person. And then it's going to become a, a struggle, an argument of, well, who is more replaceable by ownership and who's going to win out? And in my opinion, that's such an easy decision. If you're Titans ownership and these two guys are not seeing eye to eye, Robinson or Vrabel. I mean, it's Vrabel 10 times out of 10 times. I mean, you look at this roster. Do they have one blue chip player right now on the offensive side of the ball? I mean, that offensive side of the ball stinks. There, there is there is no talent on that side of the roster. I would even argue defensively, they're doing more with less. They, they've got more talent on defense. They've got some nice players. But to me, that is a coaching job, a coaching job of consistently doing more with less. And so I'm sure there was some, you know, whether it was A.J. Brown, whether it was draft picks, whether it was roster moves, you're right about the danger with, with a coach getting that power and then what they're going to do with it. Because the coach's job is to win this week and then when after that game's over, is to win the next week. It's not to look three seasons ahead. However, we have a lot of examples in the NFL. I mean, Kyle Shanahan had all the power and brought in John Lynch. Pete Carroll was hired first and brought in John Schneider. And so when you have a coach who you really believe in and you're saying, we're not even like thinking this, this is our coach, we're not thinking about anything else, and he wants more, then you can say, all right, that's fine. You know, find a guy who's going to help you out and go ahead and move forward. So I have no issue with that process at all. I mean, you look at, I, I don't see many moves in like the last couple of years where I say, wow, John Robinson's killing it. Uh, to 
me, it's more replacement level GM. He's been fine. Again, I think most of them uh, are in the same bucket. And I think they're in a weird part uh, in sort of their franchise's uh, place right now where they are in that middle like, which way are you going? Are you sticking with the guys you have now and moving forward? Are you going to do a slow rebuild? Are you going to blow it up? I'm sure Vrabel doesn't want to blow it up. Maybe Robinson did want to blow it up. And that was the tension. But I, I think it's fine. I don't think they're going to look back and be like, oh my gosh, we don't have John Robinson. And that's why uh, our team stinks right now. I totally disagree with that. Yeah, see, to me, I, I think I think it's it'll be extremely clear. I To me, like a lot of the Robinson conversation to me is like very much backfilling the reasoning. Like it, the Titans are seven and six right now. I I'll, let's 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 describe out like the median outcome for the Titans season this year. Titans finish ten and seven. They win the AFC South. They play the five seeds. So that's who like Miami, uh, but Cincinnati, Cincinnati, right? yeah, Cincinnati. They yeah. lose in, in the in the wild card round. Are are you hopping on this pod with me after the Titans lose to the Bengals, which they always play the Bengals tight, one score games. So they lose to Bengals twenty to seventeen. Are you hopping on the pod with me in 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 early in January and going Titans very clearly need to fire John Robinson? No chance. There's no way you're saying that in, in January if the Titans season just finished and Robinson wasn't fired mid season. You see what I'm saying? No, I'm not saying that. But it, but but if we do, if 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 I'm my my read on this is that Vrabel is not happy with the job his GM is doing. I would have popped on this podcast and we would have talked about the Titans and I would have got another great job by Vrabel. I can't even believe they won the AFC South with this roster. He's one of the five or six or seven uh, best head coaches in the NFL. He did it again. They won the division. We all thought this was the year that they were going to come back down to earth and underachieve and they didn't do it. So if in his mind, the GM is not doing the job he wants the GM to do, they're not seeing eye to eye in Vrabel. Like it's it's Vrabel's vision. To me, there should be no misunderstanding about that. It's got to be Vrabel's vision. And then you're right. He can't pull a Bill O'Brien. See, it's interesting because like Vrabel's vision, and I, I agree with you that like Vrabel's character is very clearly stamped on this team. Remember, John Robinson was in a power struggle with Mike Malarkey, got Mike Malarkey fired. They were off of a playoff win, got Malarkey fired, and then went out and hired his guy and got yeah. Mike Vrabel. And before Vrabel... John Robinson was drafting some large, angry son of a gun, some physical players, and was hitting early in the draft, despite it, right? And part of the reason why I got rid of Malarkey was Malarkey, you know, was defending his coaching staff. I can't recall the name of his offensive coordinator. Who was it? It was the Marcus Mariota year, and he was just, like, abysmal. And Malarkey was like, this guy's the best, and it was terrible. Whatever. But, like, brought in Vrabel, and Robinson was the was the installer of this culture that now is attributed to Vrabel, which I, I, I think a lot of that attribution is rightful. I, I absolutely do, because Vrabel has very clearly affected the team in positive ways. But it ain't like, you know, Robinson and Vrabel got hired together and then it's been, all right, who's in charge here? No, Robinson built the bedrock on which Mike Vrabel's built his church. And so I agree with you. Like, I very clearly think this midseason firing, which is a shocking thing to see for a general manager, midseason firing for an NFL head coach, you see one or two a year. Mid-season NFL firing for general manager. Rare and never happens on a winning team. Man, Sasha yeah. got fired after going 0-12. You know, I, 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 Dave Caldwell fired by the Jags. Lost 10 straight. So the only way Robinson's getting fired is because of power struggle, because of Rabel. I agree with you that I think Rabel's better at his job than Robinson at his. I do think that when head coaches and GM struggle and head coaches win and end up with more roster control, the team always and invariably gets worse. And that sucks. That su- that maybe uh, Titans are put in a bad spot. Ownership put in a bad spot. But I, I, I do not see like uh, if 
if we get to the end of the season and the Titans hire a general manager and Vrabel steps back from the roster, great. Kudos to Vrabel. Kudos to ownership for understanding how to build out the team. I'd be surprised if we see it. Head coaches love roster control. Feels great. Oh, baby, I'm finally yeah. building the team the way I want to. And there'll be that initial boost and then nothing. And then, and then things tank because they're not responsible with future draft picks. They're not responsible with player development. They want veterans. They spend money. Win now. Win now. Win now. And they, they, they mortgage the future for short-term gains, and then those gains fall away. And I'm so, so worried that Vrabel, who you love and I love, is going to fall down that same trap. And so it's, it's the absence of Robinson, but it's also Vrabel filling the void that I think is going gonna, is gonna to turn this Titans team that's been so wonderfully, patiently, meticulously built down a bad way. Vrabel definitely has the keys now. I mean, any move that is made, it's Vrabel's move, regardless of who they hire, regardless of if it's his hand-picked guy, it doesn't matter. I mean, he has the keys. I think that's what this is about. Again, maybe there'll be more reporting. Maybe you're right. Maybe there will be something, another uh, explanation for it. The timing is certainly weird. Uh, and listen, it's, it's the NFL. Two guys get along great for three years. Things are going mm -hmm. well. Then things start going south and then things aren't going so well. And then someone's talking to the owner and someone else is talking to the owner. And all of a sudden yeah. someone wins out like the, the drama, the egos uh, in in these buildings, all 32 teams. Uh, I, I think probably the average uh, listener fan, whatever, would be surprised. But it's a. Uh, it's very yeah. common. So we'll see. I mean, it could definitely go down that path. If he gets power hungry and says, I'm making this move, if he pulls a Bill O'Brien, uh, you will absolutely be right. But I do think there's another path where he says, I just want somebody else. And yeah, I'm going to have final say, but it's not going to be a one-person show. And we'll see what happens there. I hope that's the route that he goes down. I hope it says, I want somebody else and yeah. they get somebody else. If that somebody else can go get A.J. Brown, Nate Davis, David Long, and Christian Fulton, all with no first-round picks, kudos. That's straight good drafting, brother. That's good drafting. And no to hold on to AJ Brown when they have him, and not to miss on Isaiah Wilson and the uh, and the uh, next year's. Listen, I know there's always misses. That's what I'm saying. I'm yeah. not saying he's bad. Uh, I just don't think he's at a Ryan level where Tannehill I'm going for a fourth round you're pick. Be crying. Yeah. Imagine if Malik develops and and John Robinson's two quarterback moves were Ryan Tannehill with a fourth round yeah. pick and Malik Wilson with a third round pick. Two starting quarterbacks didn't even spend a round two pick. Can you imagine? That's just yeah. general manager, baby. <laughs> All right. My final take. And I think this is going to lead into your uh, extra point taken. The Miami Dolphins are the most interesting team in the NFL going into the final four oh, weeks yeah. of the season. Uh, I saw a, uh, a handsome man uh, podcast. Someone called him a podcaster. Someone called him a writer. Put together a terrific video online. I can't remember the gentleman's name uh, about what the Chargers did to the Dolphins in that game Sunday night, uh, showing how they had their corners playing inside leverage, take away the middle of the field, bump those wide receivers at the line of scrimmage. By the way, that same podcaster writer, I think, was ahead of the curve on this show last week saying, this is the one thing that is replicable, is to press these guys, is to get, get at them within those five yards, and that's exactly Listen, it. extra point taken, baby. I'll, I'll try to get the guy's name. Sorry, maybe, maybe at the break or uh, in post-production, I can find it. But that is what the Chargers did. And after last week, I was saying it's the 49ers. Everyone relax. They're a great defense. They do this to everyone. The Chargers have not been a great defense. The Chargers have been a mediocre defense. The Chargers were playing without Derwin James, and they completely shut down that Dolphins team. 14 first downs, 219 yards. Miami gets that fluke fumble TD uh, with Tyree Kill. Otherwise, uh, they're really not even in that game. I mean, one real touchdown on nine 
possessions. And so I'm looking at this Miami team going down the stretch. I know this is going to be so fun week to week. I think they're the most high variance probably team in the NFL, but certainly the most high variance offense in the NFL. When you think about what we were talking about for the first 12 weeks of the season and how unstoppable they looked. I let you convince me that they were Super Bowl contenders. I was on board. It looked like nobody could stop them. And then the last- I'm still there. You're still there. Okay, well, I want to I, I want to hear from you <laughs> on this. I didn't want to react to the 49ers loss, but when you go back-to-back weeks like that and the second defense is not a great defense and they're still doing that to you, if you look at it statistically, Ben, there have been 399 quarterback starts uh, this season. Tua's start on Sunday night ranked 376th if you look at success rate. Uh, so just how many positive plays are they producing when he drops back to pass? 376th out of 399. And now I'm looking at their next four games. Bills, top six defense. Packers, eh. Patriots, top six defense. Jets, top six defense. Three of the top six defenses in NF, in the NFL, in DVOA, are on their schedule in the next four weeks. So this is going one of two ways. One is that word blueprint applies. I think it gets overused, but guess what? There are also times where it actually applies, where one team does something and the right. other team say, hey, that was pretty good. Let's do that. I said last week. You, you had my, it. The whole take was the Niners game is not a blueprint game. <laughs> yeah. Updated take. But, the Chargers game is a, blue, is a blueprint game. Yes. We're there. <laughs> exactly. Well said. So if teams are doing the same thing, disrupting those receivers within five yards, pressing, taking away the middle of the field, it could get really ugly down the stretch for this Dolphins team. And the narrative could totally shift on what we think about them going into the offseason. So it could go that way or it could go the other way where Mike McDaniel has a plan B. They get through this stretch. The offense looks explosive. They're a dangerous playoff team. And we say, oh, they had that tough stretch, remember, against the Niners and the Chargers. But look at what they did to bounce back. And now they look like the team we thought they were. So uh, I'm so interested to see what happens with the Dolphins in the last four weeks. Hopefully that sets you up for your extra point taken. Yeah, so we talked a lot about the specific Chargers-Dolphins game on the Sunday recap show. So for full, like gamut of what it means for Tua and Herbert and defenses. You can certainly go there and I encourage you to listen as we open the show with. But to say here, like now, like this it it can't be said yet that this is the most impressive win of kind of the Chargers Brandon Staley era. Firstly, they had the early win against the Chiefs right when he took over and like that win I think certainly means more. But if they're able to finish the job here, and we'll talk about that in a second, what the next month might look like for the Chargers. This is this is a watershed win. This is an inflection point win for a team that was reeling. I'm talking like, you know, like ducks around the head, eyes crossed, nose bloodied. Like they were just begging for a knockout punch. And I thought Miami was going to boat race them, man. Like I, I, I thought Miami was just going to run them out of town. Like what do the Chargers do from here? What needs to change? Uh, resiliency from a team that is so good at playing good games and then losing them to walk into that Dolphins team that's just so high-powered, put up a tough, physical brand of football, win their third-down reps, not make the critical mistakes, try to make the critical mistakes, yeah. and then, uh, then recover the fumbles and avoid. It just, it again, like, we, we, I can't say right now, like, oh, they exercise their demons, the Chargers are whatever. But, it, this, it again, like, if they can finish the job here over the next few weeks, this is a, this is a game we look back on as a turning-point game. I don't want to believe in the Chargers because... That'd be dumb. I've never done that before. But this is the sort of game that the Chargers lose 
so, so, so often. And the fact that they didn't, I think, is a very, very big deal. Uh, good game planning, good coaching, good quarterbacking. It, it's, it's what should win you games. And the Chargers tend to find ways for it not to happen. It happened against an AFC rival that they desperately needed to beat. Kudos to them. I don't. I, I don't think this is going to end up being. A, I think it's going to end up being a great individual uh, team performance for them. I now the end of their schedule. I mean, they have the Titans, the Colts, the Rams, and the Broncos. I mean, you really couldn't ask for a better final four games if you're the Chargers. So they're in the driver's seat there. Uh, they should be able to get into the postseason, but I'm not going to trust them. I mean, it would not surprise me at all if they lost this weekend to the Titans. That could absolutely uh, happen, but it was a great performance by them. All right, ben, Benny Souls. anything else? Yeah, so the extra point taken for me is on this exact topic, like you said. Okay. Uh, I want to walk you through right now as we as we sit here at the end of week 14 the teams that have between a 60 to 10% chance to make the playoffs. And then I want you to pick out of that group, the one team that you would just not want to have to play as some stupid, stinky wildcard team. coming Oh, out of I that. love it. The don't, yeah. the, the, you don't want to play them team. All right. I yeah. like this. Now, again, like not all these teams will make it, but implied in them making it, is the fact that they won some of their subsequent games, right? So when you make your decision here, when you think about it, and I'll read off some of the remaining schedule for you, think about what it means for them to have made the playoffs and the teams that they've beaten to got there. So less than 60% chance. So Buccaneers are, are our first team out at 66% chance right now by 538. You have the Seahawks at 55%. They have the Niners, the Chiefs, the Jets, and the Rams coming up. You have the Chargers at 55%, way AFC wild card. They have, as you said, the Titans, the Colts, uh, the Rams and the Broncos. You also have the Patriots right now, 40% chance to make it. Uh, New England has Raiders, Bengals, Dolphins, Bills. You have the Panthers, 31% second position right now in the NFC South. Uh, they have coming up uh, Steelers, Lions, Buccaneers, and Saints. Two more teams left. Uh, excuse me, three more teams left. You have the, Gi- the Giants, 45%. They have Minnesota, they have Indianapolis, they have Washington, they have Philadelphia. You have the Jets at 34%, Detroit, Jacksonville, Seattle, Miami. And then you have those pesky little Detroit Lions. Uh, They're coming up with the Jets, the Panthers, the Bears, and the Packers. So, listing the teams again, Seahawks, Chargers, Patriots, Giants, Jets, Panthers, Lions. Who do you not want to see the most in the playoffs? (laughs) <laughs> say it <laughs> this is testing many you know you have these things in your head going off I'm going I I heard you guys on the pod I'm with you on Justin Herbert that was going to be one of my takes but then I go they already covered that but would I really feel like the Chargers are going to beat me I don't think so so I'll give you some time to noodle on it if you want because my okay. team in that group I've got my team I've got my team Who let's see it? if it's your team it's the lie. I think it's the Lions. Yeah. I think it's the Detroit Lions. I mean, listen, the Detroit Lions are scoring on anybody and everybody. They have a what top seven, top eight offense. And by the way, Dan Frickin' Campbell will call a fake punt with Mr. Dave Phipps, legendary special teams coach. Wow, Dave inside. Phipps, shout out. This is an Eagles people podcast for sure. Inside his own 30 in that game. Are you kidding me with that fake punt? And then Panay Sewell uh, on the third and seven. Uh, so I think it would be the Lions. I'm, I'm not buying the Lions defense. I think they got a lot of work to do defensively. I thought Cousins played really well in that game. But as I'm looking at all these teams, I mean, if you want to say the Chargers, you can say the Chargers because of Herbert. If you want to say the Patriots, you can say the Patriots because of Belichick. You could talk me into the Jets easily. 
because of that defense. I mean, so those are the three teams I looked at, but I don't know. It's probably a little recency bias, but when I just looked at the te- the teams and I knew I had to pick one or we were just going to have right. dead air, I was going with the Detroit Lions. And that's the thing is, is I think there's there's two teams that are legitimate and they're they're total polar opposites because it's the Chargers and the Lions. <laughs> Where when I look at that list and you're like, are right, you giving me this version of the Seahawks? You know, the, you know, the Patriots go ahead and handle business. They make it the seventh seed. I'm all right. I know how to beat these teams. I've watched football. I know what's going on. Lions, with the way, again, one five of the last six, they're going to have a ton of momentum. They're a super young team. Like you said, they'll try everything. Like, there's a nightmare to, to, to prepare for, right? Because they're just going to be crazy and they're going to be super chaotic and all of that. But the answer to me is the Los Angeles Chargers. And the reason is what we saw on, on, on Monday night. Uh, Steven said it really well on the, on the, the Sunday recap show. Herbert played like a, about a perfect game. Like he played about as good of a game as you'll see a quarterback play. They only scored 23 freaking points, but Herbert played about as good of a game as you'll pl- see the quarterback position play. And he also did last week. This is becoming extremely regular for this young man to just be about as mistake free, efficient, and effective as you can be in this offense. And critically, this offense is getting reinforcements. Uh, Mike Williams and Keenan Allen sharing the field once again against the Miami Dolphins. Keenan's clearly still gimpy, but this again uh, from Steven's timeline, Herbert this season, 68 dropbacks total with both Herbert uh, with uh, with Mike Williams and Keenan Allen on the field, averaging 0.32 EPA per dropback. That's Mahomes averaging 0.34 right now on the season. So when he has both Mike Williams and Keenan Allen, it's looking pretty good. Uh, Reporters today out of Los Angeles, from Brandon Staley, there's a chance that both Joey Bosa and Rashawn Slater, left tackle, are back in the regular season. Rashawn is a little bit more of a long shot for Week 18, maybe in the playoffs. But Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack had three sacks in the four games that he played. Or excuse me, he had four sacks in the three games he played with Joey Bosa. He has only had three sacks since. They are going to get potentially their best defensive player back, and then also the saving grace of this offensive line. The Chargers are kind of rounding out a little bit into the team we thought we might see. And the health at wide receiver, nothing more important than that. And getting a player like Michael Williams back, you saw how much it mattered to them against the Dolphins. I would like for the Chargers to lose the game against the Titans so I don't have to entertain these thoughts anymore. But if they can go from beating a team that plays like the Dolphins to turning right around and beating a team that plays like the Titans and they're getting healthier, and Herbert's continuing to play like this, there is not a team in the AFC field they can't beat. They'll find a way to lose! But there's not a team in the AFC field they can't beat. I thought I was bad. You got sucked in by one, one win. Even yes, I was stronger I than that. And I am normally weak. I mean, I would go back. Uh, I, I hear everything you're saying. Uh, but listen to what you said. You said Herbert, and I agree. Herbert had to play like a perfect game, and they scored 20 Three po- there, are, there's, there are just constraints around this man that I think are going to be difficult to overcome. Now, listen, if if Williams and Allen stay healthy, if they're healthier on the, I mean, he was running for us. Like I don't know that the, how sustainable that is, but I, I I would see that in a one game, you know, because I, I think Staley in a one game scenario in the playoffs come up with the creative game plan for this team. We just saw him do that. That's a big feather in the defensive coach's hat. And then the quarterback can just put the team on his back. So there could be, you know, if you wanted to take it far and maybe we'll say, maybe we save this for, if they beat the Titans next week, this will be a take. Could they be the Bengals of this year? I mean, they've got the, quarterback. They're not having a great season. No one's really taking them seriously, but they sneak in and all of a sudden they make some noise that, you know, there might be some parallels 
there now that the Bengals are like, you know, just way better than they were when they actually, actually got good, to right. the Super Bowl. So the Bengals can't be this year's Bengals. Okay, I like it. The Chargers. Ben's back in on the Chargers. Stay tuned for next Monday night when we talk about how the Chargers lost to the Titans and here's Mike Vrabel just outcoached their butts with Ryan Tannehill and Nick Westbrook Aquino with two touchdowns on that here's defense. If you go and you look at the Titans' rushing numbers this year in the Tannehill games, in the non-Malik Willis games, they're not running the football very well. This offensive line is really, really bad. So the whole like, oh, just running on the Chargers. They will, but it's not the same rushing attack it's been in previous seasons in Tennessee. So I don't like, I, the Titans are well built to beat the Chargers, but also the Titans aren't the Titans. And this defense is so, so, so injured in Tennessee. I think the Chargers win the game. I hate mm-hmm. that I said that. Get me off the pod. <laughs> Stop the pod. I don't even know what the line is, but I can tell you in my picks column, I will absolutely be taking the points uh, with the Titans in that game. Whether I pick them to win or not, I do not know. All right. That'll wrap it up. Thank you to everyone for listening. 14 weeks in the books. We've got four more to do. And then I think we're going to do a playoff one because we got that Monday night wild card game uh, this year. So Chargers are favored by one and a half. Only one and a half? What? Come on. I thought I was getting at least a field goal there. Nope. Titans right now. Right. Uh, this was at open. I'm just looking at an article that has it at open. FPI has okay. Chargers 62.5% chance to win. So that's five eighths. Chargers handle success well. I'm sure. I'm Chargers sure. Chargers be the Titans. Playoff Chargers. Yeah, I'm sure they'll be fine with expectations and uh, do great there. And I'm sure you know the Titans don't usually perform well when their backs are up against the wall and people are no, telling never. them <laughs> against an AFC contender. I've never seen them do that before. Oh well. We'll see how it goes. Maybe this will be the breaking point where they're just not as good of a team. All right. Thanks to everyone for listening to me and Benny Souls. Thank you to Christopher Sutton for producing additional production supervision by Connor Nevins and Arjuna Ramgopal. Stay tuned this week. The Power Rankers, the Island, the Scramble, and the preview show on Friday. Everyone have a great week, and we will talk to you next Monday. 